0: arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. Here ends the second reading. Thank you, uh... <coughs> gira for for reading that passage of scripture for us this morning let's uh, let's come to god in prayer let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word we ask O oh lord that you help us to understand this word and to apply it into our hearts and lives this morning that we would find in christ the true and lasting treasure always in jesus name amen Well, friends, have you uh, ever taken part in treasure hunts? Anyone? Yes, I see a few heads uh, nodding around. Place that's so good. Have you ever gone and looked around for Easter eggs in your house? Any young people? No, no. Okay. Mm, I'm sure some may have. Okay, I see a few hands being raised. Don't be embarrassed. Just raise it. It's fine. We're all one family here, right? All right. When, well, when our, when our kids were small we used to hide uh, Easter eggs around the house. And, and they were let loose, so to speak, to find their treasure, Easter eggs, chocolate Easter eggs. It was fun for them and exciting for us to watch them. Well, now we don't have treasure hunts for Easter eggs in our house anymore. I can't imagine seeing Sean and Jessica running around the house looking for Easter eggs. Yeah, that will be really funny indeed. But... To this very day, on Easter uh, Sunday morning, uh, we have breakfast together. Usually our uh, bread is baked, and, uh, and we sit around the table. Uh, we have breakfast together, and we have Easter eggs on the table. And we read the Bible, and we thank the Lord that He is risen. So no more uh, treasure hunts for eggs in our house. We hear stories of how people have found treasures by pure chance. And throughout history, valuable objects, coins, jewelry, and other treasure has been found. For example, while repairing the embankment on the River Ribble, near Preston in England, a group of workmen dug up a, a lead box, and inside was one of the biggest hoards of Viking treasure ever found. More than 8,600 items were documented including silver coins, various bits of jewelry, and silver ingots. Now, I had to look at this word. What does that mean, ingots? It's basic, basically a block of steel or gold. And I think we have a picture here, maybe not looking so good. But the value, the value of that, have a guess, friends, was, was 3.. 3.2 two million. Imagine finding such treasure. So the bottom line is, you never know what you will find when you dig up your garden. So for those who do not like gardening, may I encourage you to never give up gardening and digging up to never know what you will find. It kind of inspired me to do some gardening. Anyway. This morning, I want to speak about another kind of treasure. A treasure that is a lasting one, a treasure that is priceless, a treasure that has eternal consequences. And so for this morning, please keep your Bibles open to Colossians chapter two, one to five. And there are three things that I want to look at this morning. One is the struggle, secondly, the purpose, and third, the warning, the struggle, the purpose, and the warning. In verse 1, Paul is continuing on this theme of the preeminence and the majesty of Christ in chapter 1. And here we have in chapter 2, he says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So this section begins with Paul speaking of his struggle. And the word that he uses here for the word struggle is the word agon, from which we get the word agony. All right? So this word agony essentially means this, friends, a place of assembly, especially an assembly meant to see games, the place of contest, the arena or a stadium, the assembly of the Greeks at their national games, Hence, the contest for a prize at their game was essentially a struggle, a contest to contend in the gymnastic game, so to speak, and to keep going. It was a wrestling. And so this word was derived from the place where the Greeks met for their Olympic games where they agonized in their sport. And so applied to this context, it means that the Apostle Paul has been agonizing or wrestling or struggling with everything he had for the Colossians and for the church at Laodicea as well. Now we must remember, friends, this morning that Paul had not met the people in this church at Colossae. But he agonized for them. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see the similar word being used, a struggle that Paul goes through. And in his struggling, Paul is doing so with all his energy. In chapter 129, the energy that he needs for ministry, the energy that he needs to keep on going, the energy that he needs to be focused on the gospel. And so spiritually now Paul is with them. Have a look. In, we see that in verse 5, isn't it? His heart was with them. Now, where did this agony, in fact, take place? Where did this agony take place? You see, Paul uh, was in prison. And pray for us too. Chapter 4, verse 3. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul is not sitting in some five-star luxury room somewhere and he's saying, brothers and sisters, even though I haven't met you, I'm just agonizing for you. No, no. He's there in chains. He's in prison. He's in some smelly dungeon somewhere. And he's there and he's agonizing and he's wrestling and he's struggling for this church. The question is, what does this agony or struggle involve? You see, he must have longed to be in Colossae and refute all the heresy in the church. What well, I think his agony or striving could also include a wrestling for them in prayer. He says Epaphras was a man of prayer, and I'm sure that Paul was agonizing for them. He was wrestling for them in prayer. For example, in Romans chapter 15, verse 30, we read this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my, what is it, struggle, in my wrestling, by praying to God for me. I think, friends, that the greatest struggle for us could be our personal prayer life. Don't you think so? Do we spend five minutes a day in prayer? When I say we are including myself... When I was writing this text down, I was asking myself, How is my prayer life? Do I spend an hour before God in prayer? How is my prayer life? Do I actually wrestle with God? Do I actually agonize before Him? Do I wrestle with the things that I need to be praying for in His church? You see, prayer is not just for the local church, it's for our own lives individually but it is also prayer that encompasses the global church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is it not? And so Paul is wrestling him, he's praying for a people that he has never met. And so what about for us, my dear friends, in our own prayer life, how much we can be involved in praying for churches and for Christians that we have never, ever met? May I encourage us to pray for the suffering church in the world. Many of us received the Barnabas magazine. Do you you get it? You probably get it on your emails, right? You hear of stories. We think of the situation in Indonesia. Some of our Indonesian brothers and sisters, I received texts from them last week when the bombings went off. And we prayed for them. We pray for the church in Indonesia. We struggle. We wrestle before God. We agonize before God for the work of the gospel in Indonesia and in other parts of the world. My heart breaks. It hurts. When I hear stories of the persecuted church of the Lord Jesus Christ and we wrestle before God in agony. In agony, praying for a people that we have never met. And Paul is saying, I'm agonizing. I'm struggling. I am praying for you. Be encouraged in this. And not just for you, but also for Laodicea in the Lycus Valley. And what was the purpose of all of this praying for? Ever look at verses 2 and 3, please. He prays. He's struggling. He's agonizing. Why that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I mean, that's a power-packed statement there, right? Let's dig it up, friends. Let's dig up the passage this morning, all right? He is praying that their hearts may be encouraged. The word there is the word like walking alongside, right? alongside of a journey, as it were, and encouragement in the heart. You see, the heart is the core of our being. The heart is, as one writer put it, the fulcrum of feeling and faith, as well as the mainspring of words and actions. It is out of the heart that comes the abundance of words and action and life. Our words reveal what's in the heart. It reveals a person's attitude, does it not? And boy, are we need to watch our hearts and guard our hearts and watch what goes on inside the deep recesses of our hearts. I bet you, friends, all of us here this morning have the deep things deep down in our hearts, don't we? Things that we cannot even bring to share with others and yet god knows it and, this, and 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 paul is saying i want you to be encouraged in, in the heart you see the bible tells us that one of the main reasons why christians should gather together is to encourage one another hebrews chapter 10 24 and 25 have a read, look at that and let us consider how to stir one stir up one another to love and good deeds not neglecting to meet together As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Why? And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So God calls us to encourage one another. And this is the text that tells us to meet together on the Lord's day. You know, we can become lazy, right? For example, a Sunday morning. It's cold, it's nice to be in bed, why would you get up and come here at 10 o'clock in the morning? Why Why would you do that? Or if you were in the evening, why would you leave a a great day that you've been enjoying and come here at 6 o'clock in the night? Why would you do that? Because you want to be with God's people. You know, worship, each, worship our God and encourage each other. Speaking a word of encouragement. And what a thing it does to our heart when we receive encouragement. Yes? Say, for example, you go to work tomorrow morning. Monday it is. I don't have the problem on Monday because Monday is my day off. Sometimes it's an off day. No, it's a day off. All right? John doesn't have that problem either. But call him next, once I leave, just call him on Mondays, it's okay. (laughs) The point is this you go to work tomorrow morning, and your boss says to you, 10 o'clock in the morning, morning tea, well done, I want to just thank you for the work that you've done today. You've done a good job. How would you feel? Now, when we encourage encourage each other, it doesn't mean that we can't admonish people as well, all right? But generally speaking, if you've got somebody who's always critical, Always looking for the, uh, that little thing to bite out your ear as it were. Would you go close to that person? No. But an encouraging word encourages us, does it not? It encourages pastors in ministry. It encourages your leaders. It encourages you as a parent, as a young person, as a single person, as a married person, as an older person. The word to encourage, and God calls us to encourage one another. And we should be spiritual cheerleaders for one another. When I used to go and watch our kids play sport, I used to get pretty fired up with cheering, and it was kind of embarrassing to them. I can, you can ask them, they're embarrassing. I still go on Monday nights for basketball, and I walk up and down. This is actually... Peter is there, Peter Fenton, where are you? Oh, he, he, Peter sometimes controls me, you know. He's there with me as well. And I'm walking up and down on the side of the, of the court, saying, come on, come on, come on, guys. And sometimes the referees must think, who is this guy here? walking up and down? Come on, you can do it. Hit that goal. Just jump on the guy. No, I wouldn't say that. Embarrassing but I want to be a cheerleader. I want to encourage the team. I want to see the Hills basketball team score the goals and, and play well. So to encourage someone is an act of inspiring others with renewed zeal. And when we encourage others, we spur them up and spur them on and we affirm them and we strengthen them and we encourage them in the walk in Christ. And what a blessing that is. How about you this morning? When is the last time you spoke a word of encouragement to a brother or sister in Christ? eh? When is the last time you did that, friend? When I say you, I'm talking about myself as well. When is the last time we encouraged one another in ministry? See, what type of attitude do we have? A critical attitude. You can find 155 faults in this church if you go looking for them. All right? Probably find 500, five hundred, five thousand faults in me if you go looking for it. But what about encouragement? Right? A word of encouragement goes a long way because God says it. God's word calls us to encourage, and to be encouraged in the heart is to know what Christ has done for us, and the fact is that we need it, we need encouragement to pick up the pieces in life and move forward with determination in spite of all the challenges and obstacles we face in life. And God's plan is that much of our encouragement comes from other Christians who speak the word of God into our lives and who are praying for us. You know, I've received text messages and, and so many messages from congregation members like you. It, it breaks our heart sometimes when we get those text messages. It encourages me with the visits that I've done where people have said to me, Chris, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you and Rose in this new ministry. And I come back thinking, wow, I went to read the scriptures and pray with them, and they are praying for us. I come back like, I'm bopping away spiritually. I'm, you know, that is God's encouragement for us. That is God's encouragement for us. Us as God's people, as we share the word, as we encourage each other in the heart. And then he says to be united in love. You see, this word means uh, to join together. It's a it's word that means to be knit together. Right? It means to be put together in affection and united, held together, union with Christ and his church. You see, the church is a place where all different kinds of people can be united in love by Christ. By, without Christ, we can fight with each other, can't we? <laughs> what is the glue that keeps us together as church? With all our personalities, idiosyncrasies, all our ups and downs, all our weirdness. <laughs> what keeps us together? It's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of love that binds our hearts together. You can't manufacture that doesn't work you can try to do it but real love is coming from the heart real love comes from the spirit of god the fruit of the spirit is what is the fruit of the spirit love so paul desires and encouragement the believers hearts and also desires that they be united in love and there is nothing worse than a loveless church to be united in love is to be encouraged in heart. And then there is the full assurance of understanding. Look, look at the, the, the text here, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Full assurance of understanding. There is a firm, a full conviction of the truth. It is a full and firm assurance to know that we are His. That we belong to him because he has saved you. It is a conviction of that truth to reach the riches of full assurance. You know, one of the hymns that we sing in this church is Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Blessed assurance. Do you have that assurance this morning? Are you full and firm with that assurance? Are you understanding of the work of Christ that gives us that assurance, that unconditional assurance that you are His, that you encourage in heart, united in love, and full assurance of understanding of what? That's the question. Look at the text here and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ it's tied to jesus it's connected to christ and this mystery is christ and it is knowing christ and the question is why why know christ and look at the text here in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge what a blessing friends the place which good and precious things the treasure Think about treasure. It's a place where good and precious things are collected and laid up in a casket or perhaps in in a treasure box. And Paul is saying, in Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and understanding are hidden. Come to him and discover for yourself these treasures. And when you know Jesus, you will find this wisdom and knowledge Wisdom, as we know, is the application of knowledge. Look at the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and so forth. But in this context, the knowledge here is of knowing who God is, his love and mercy, his grace, kindness shown in Jesus. This is the knowledge of him. And the Colossians and the Colossian Christians don't need to seek mystical knowledge as was going on in this church, a false teaching, a heresy here, as promoted by the false teachers, but they can find it in Christ. The book of Proverbs tells us this, isn't it? Proverbs 2, 6-7a. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless. The Lord gives. And what a blessing that is. Yes, certainly wisdom is needed, by the way, for the way we live and make decisions in our lives. However, in the context here, in the wisdom here, in Christ, we have a wisdom that no other wisdom can accomplish where he alone brings us to God and reconciles us with the living God. And so Paul says that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And let us ask ourselves this question this morning. How precious is Jesus to us today? How precious is he to you? Is he your complete treasure? Well, I'll give you an illustration. Yesterday afternoon, I went out um, to a place to make inquiries about something that I was interested in buying. I met this young salesman. And I got talking with him. And in the course of the conversation, he mentioned Adam and Eve. I thought, that's interesting. Well, I thought, I'm not going to let this pass by. So I thought, I'll carry on this conversation. A young uh, man, probably from Malaysia or Singapore, I didn't really ask. And then I asked him, where did you hear this story about Adam and Eve? This is right in the middle of the the place I was in. Well, he said, I read it in the Bible. So I said to him, so you know the Bible? He said, yes, man I, man, I know the Bible. He said oh, and the, then the conversation moved on very quickly, moved on to faith. And then he told me that he was a Christian. And he told me two things. He asked me, he asked me two things. So do you preach? I said, boy, I'm thinking like, has this guy been at Surrey Hills at any time? Has he seen me on the pulpit? I said, I asked him, why do you ask? And then he said, I asked him, do you preach? And he said, yes, I preach. So this is becoming more interesting by the moment. <laughs> and so I said, what, what do you preach? I said, I tell my friends. I tell everybody about Jesus. Do you? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> and the next thing he told me was this. You would not believe this, friends. I'm preparing the. I mean, I had this sermon all in my head, right? I've already done, printed it out, everything. Anyway, he's saying to me, you know the things we sell here, Chris... This guy's name is Anthony. said, so the things we sell here are just earthly treasures. These things will pass by. These things are, you spend money, it just come and it goes. It's nowhere in comparison to knowing Jesus, who is the ultimate treasure. I, I, I'm thinking, has this guy seen my sermon notes? <laughs> what is going on? Has he got into my computer system somehow? Right? Scary stuff going on here. Whew. And... So we got talking about treasure. And I didn't end up buying anything either. <laughs> we both left and I got his card. And I will be in touch with this young man. What an encounter with a young Christian man in his workplace in the course of the conversation. Didn't push it, but talked about Christ. And I came home really encouraged. I really, really encouraged me. Oh boy, oh boy. It warmed my heart to hear this young sales consultant talk about Christ as his treasure. You see, friends, in Jesus, all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge and understanding is told and found. And when you trust Jesus, the mystery is revealed in Christ, and you get to know God, the creator, through his son Jesus. And Paul says, here is through knowledge. Here is the life-changing mystery of God. Is summarized essentially in seven words in the previous chapter, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the treasure, friends. It is not the knowledge of human philosophy. In Jesus, we can access, we have access into the very presence of God. In Jesus, we have complete forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus, we have abundant life. In Jesus, we have eternal life. And in Jesus, we are reconciled to God. The testimonies we heard, how God had worked in their lives this morning, all the way in Malaysia, from a Hindu background, bringing faith and changing people's lives. That is the treasure, isn't it, of knowing Christ. Is Jesus friends, we have these riches. All the treasure is found in him. And then we keep moving to the warning that we have here in verses 4 and 5. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. What a statement from a pastor. What a statement from someone who has never met this church. And he gives them a warning. And the warning is this, friends. You see, the Colossian church was confronted with a form of mysticism. It's a form of syncretistic ideas that was going on. Some weird stuff was being pushed by teachers. And that is why, friends, may I say this to you? We take great care in the people we admit to our congregation. The session as a responsibility to guard and protect. We heard that last week, right? What is the primary task of the shepherds of the congregation? To shepherd the people, first and and foremost, to protect the sheep. How do you protect the sheep? You need to know who comes into the sheep pen, right? And so we run classes, for example. Sometimes I think, well, why do all these classes? I mean, I can stay at home and just relax. But we put time and energy, and John will put time and energy into the Christianity Explored classes. We do the Professional Faith classes because in the class we pick up signals. We pick up where people's thought patterns are. We pick up where they are in terms of their understanding of the Trinity. Where they understand the Word of God. What's their concept of Jesus Christ? What's their concept of sin? Do they understand who Christ is? And we admit people only when we know for certain where they stand. With the word of God and with Christ. These false teachers have come in with persuasive arguments. The word there is that they were great communicators. They would be able to communicate well and convince the people what is wrong is right. And don't we have great preachers like that? (laughs) They are great communicators. But when you analyze the message... Do you see, do you hear about Jesus? Do you hear about the sin? Do you hear about the sacrifice of Christ? Do you hear that you need to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus alone? Do you hear these things? Or do you come out and say, wow, that was really nice. That was really nice. You go for a funeral service and the, pre- the guy gets up there and says some nice flowery words and we come out and say, hmm, that wasn't that nice. And I'm thinking, Really? You know, fluffy words, great words, communication. Where is the scripture? Where is the word? Where is Christ? Missing. So, friends, Paul says here, beware. Be a Berean. You know what the Bereans were? Right? Acts chapter 17. I won't go into that this morning. Be a Berean. That is, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. When they received the word with all eagerness, what did they do? They examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. So when your pastor is preaching, and whoever mounts this pulpit after I leave this place, or even now, you better measure the word of God and see what these guys are saying is measuring with the word. And then let's close this, wrap it up this morning. I rejoice. Two things, he says. I rejoice here for two things. The words, the Greek words that are used here gives us a military understanding of order and of firmness. Put together these words tell us that this church was standing strong in Christ. They are anchored in Jesus in spite of what was going on there. And what a blessing for any church to be a firm and in order, friends. To be anchored in Jesus. And for this he rejoices. So, may we also this morning treasure Christ. Come to him if you have not already done so. And to those who are Christians here this morning, let us keep on coming to Christ and finding him continuous treasure. Because indeed, he is our ultimate treasure. We come into this world with nothing. And we can take nothing out of this world. But only the treasure of Christ and knowing him gives us ultimate satisfaction and joy and peace and strength and grace and hope and comfort and abundant life and ultimately eternal life. And what a blessing that is. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have lasting treasures will never fade away. We thank you for what Christ has done for your people, Christ has done for us this morning. And We pray that we will continue, Lord, to be those who would encourage each other, be united in our love, will have full assurance and confidence and conviction of our faith in Christ. And the knowledge of jesus in knowing god that we will comprehend the wisdom that we have in christ and live wisely for jesus trust in him because in him alone is every treasure in jesus name amen well friends we are going to close